It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Oh, my word, Rich. Every time you turn on the news or anything of that sort, uh, America is just alive with what the Supreme Court may or may not be doing. Uh, It's amazing. We live in such strategic times, Dad. It's exciting to see what God is doing in our lifetime. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, The one thing I'm not hearing is the party to whom the decision is most important, and that's the baby. That's the fetus. From the moment of conception, that's the human being uh, and no one is allowing that person to be in, the, in, 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 in consideration. That's the thing I'm hearing. So anyway, we're going to be, we're going to be into this. Uh, we're going to give our audience an opportunity to hear what we are, because we are a pro-life uh, Christian network. But what does that mean? We're going to challenge everybody to think. Hmm. Think about the facts. Think about the truth and that sort of thing. So I tell you what we should do right now. Phil Kagey, um recorded a song some time ago. I want we're going to just play a little of it. Here it is. Who will speak up for the little ones, helpless and half abandoned? They've got a right to choose life. They don't want to lose. I've got to speak up, won't you? <laughs> oh man. That's right. It's the little well, one. We want to speak uh, up for the little ones. Listen, you, you turn on the news or you just watch anything and everything is about everybody else other than the acknowledgement and the recognition of the science. It is a baby. It is a human being. Uh, but it's also Mother's Day, isn't it, Rich? It is. It is. I was thinking each, uh, each one of us at one time was a little one. And we have our mothers to thank from the for moment of con- us birth. Yeah. yeah, from the moment of conception. Yes, my mother gave me life. From the moment of conception, your mother gave you life. Uh huh. From the moment of conception, my grandmother gave my grandmother my my mother life. Right. That's the way it goes, folks. And we know that ultimately God is the author of life. You know, it's funny. Everybody listening to this broadcast now at one time was a fetus, and no one disturbed it. No one bothered to kill it. Thank goodness for that. Now, uh, I tell you what, because it is Mother's Day, I want to hear from some of our listeners who are grateful to their mother. Let's hear the first one. I'm calling in uh, about my mama. She's been gone now since 2009, but she was a good mama to all of her kids and uh, Thank you, Mama, for doing and giving yourself up for all of us old stinking boys and a feisty little sister. I miss you, and I miss our phone calls on the weekends because we live so far apart. And uh, I just love my Mama. Oh, this is a, these are listener comments that have called our listener comment line this week because I'm talking about coming up with Mother's Day. Now here's another one. 
I just wanted to share how grateful I am for my mother. She selflessly gives of herself to so many people. She does a lot of work for the poor people who do not have food, and she also does a ton of things for me and for my son. And she's just a very selfless person, and it's not really ever thinking of herself, but only of others. Um, and she's a prayerful mother and a great encourager and support, and she's a best friend, too, and I really appreciate her. Dad, mm-hmm. I, I want to give a shout-out to my mother, too. And so, Mom, thank you for everything that you've done for me and continue to do as my mother. I love you. Happy yeah. Mother's Day. All the time, from the moment you were conceived— and became a human being, and then through all of the stages of development until one time you became a 21-year-old young man. Uh, That was a long time ago, too. Well, that sure is. (laughs) Now, there was a young nurse uh, in the Chicago area, and she graduated from nurses' school and training, and, and she thought she wanted to help people, care about people, and she wanted to take care of people. And she was a young person, and this is a number of years ago now, and uh, her name is Jill Stenick. And I've used an interview I did with her some time ago, several times on this program. But when all of this broke out and everything, I, I thought, I want Jill Stenick to join us live on the, in this, on the program today. Now, she's in Illinois right now. And uh, so she's not with us in the studio, but she's live and online right now. And Jill, welcome to The Complete Story. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Bott and Rich. (laughs) Bless your heart. Now listen, tell us your story. When you were very young, by the way, this is how many years ago? 23 years ago. So 23 years ago, you were a young nurse. What was in your heart in choosing to, to be a nurse? Well, I um, had stumbled on an accident when I was 20 that involved a baby, and the baby died. And I couldn't do anything to help the baby, and it just stuck with me. And became, that became one of the reasons I went on and I got my nursing degree, that incident. And you got a job with what hospital? After I got my um, degree, I applied at only one hospital, Christ Hospital, on the southwest side of Chicago. Christ? I thought I would be safe from such moral or ethical dilemmas like abortion because who could possibly think that a hospital named Christ would be involved in such a thing? I didn't even think to bring it up in my interview, but I found out by accident that they were involved in late-term abortions, and sometimes babies survived the procedure and were just relegated to death. Now, if the mother wanted to keep the baby or had regard for the baby— and um, everything. Then they they delivered the baby, um, and we're glad to present it to her, to raise and to love and to take care of. And and uh, and, and is that not true? Yes, um, Christ sure, Hospital so. is a level three mother so. baby care hospital, meaning that it gets the sickest of the sick, most complicated. Yeah. Mother cases and baby cases uh, from the whole south side of Chicago. But they so also it is did well equipped to take care of these tiny preemies. And in any case, they got paid. Mm-hmm. Well, they got their money. Oh yes, they did. Oh yeah. In any case, they get their money, but they also were willing to kill the baby. Um, and sometimes a baby would survive, 
a, a, a an attempted abortion, and the baby would be born alive and not killed, as was their intention. And tell us about that. Um, well, I, I'd been working in the labor and delivery department for a year without knowing that abortion was going on all around me. But I came to work one night and heard a report that we were aborting a second trimester baby with Down syndrome. And that was the first that I learned about it. And I went on to find out that the method of abortion that the hospital used, which is still used around the country, induced labor abortion, sometimes resulted in babies being aborted alive. And if they were aborted alive, they were relegated to the soiled utility room without any medical intervention whatsoever. And I found out about everything just by accident. In other words, the soiled linen and uh, all of that, and then they plant a place in the room, the utility room, and that's where the bodies of the or that's where the little live babies, that's where the little live babies also went in with the soiled linen. Tell us, tell us what happened. Well, um, the soiled utility room had a urinal in it, and it was a place for dirty linens and dirty instruments. And if a mom didn't want to hold her baby, which most mothers didn't, when the nurse didn't have time. In other words, if they were, were sent- if, if, if the mother intended to kill the baby in the first place, then they didn't want to hold it or anything right. like that. Go ahead. And one night a nursing co-worker was taking a little abortion survivor to the soiled utility room to die. Uh, he was 21 and a half weeks old, and he had been aborted, too, because he had Down syndrome and survived. And I couldn't bear the thought of this suffering child dying alone and so I cradled and rocked him for the 45 minutes that he lived. He was about the size of my hand and he didn't move very much because he was using all of his energy attempting to breathe and I couldn't tell whether he was alive or not unless I held him up against the light to see if I could see his heart beating through his chest wall because their skin is so thin at that age and after he was pronounced dead I folded his little arms across his chest and tied them together with a little string and wrapped him in a shroud and took him to our morgue where we took all of our dead patients. Christ Hospital was fully aware that they were aborting human beings. There was no question. And it isn't just to pick on that hospital. This is routinely done across America, isn't it? Yeah, um, late-term abortions um, are easy Uh, to perform when um, you induce labor. And sometimes doctors like Leroy Carhart and Hearn out in Colorado, who are both late-term abortionists, will kill the baby before they induce labor. But uh, And they will do that by injecting the baby's heart, visualizing on ultrasound with um, digoxin, which is a heart med. or potassium chloride, and that causes instant cardiac arrest. And then afterward, they um, induce labor of a dead baby. But oftentimes, especially in the hospital, they don't kill the baby ahead of time. They just expect the baby will die during the birth process or something Like George Tiller, like George Tiller in Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I want to thank you, Jill. We're going to have you on so, as our but, guest. But, but, a but lot. Then, Go ahead, Rich. What happened then? Um, what What happened to you? Oh, well, Rich, I I had a con- 
dispersion experience during those 45 minutes, um, going from being a quiet, personal pro-lifer to being consumed by the issue. And I went on, I stayed at the hospital because I thought, even if God didn't know, if I didn't know what was going on there, God did, and he put me there for a reason. And eventually, after two years, I was terminated. And meanwhile, um, the Born Alive Abortion Infant Protection Act was introduced on the federal level, and I testified for that. It passed. And it was introduced in the state of Illinois, too. Yeah. And that's where I first tangled with uh, State Senator Barack Obama, uh-huh. who okay. opposed the Illinois version four times. Okay, listen, Jill, I want, we're going to have you back, and I want to yes. talk more about that. But now, uh, and you stay on the God, line if you care to. God bless now, you, Jill. Rich, Thank you for your testimony. Isn't that something, Rich? Now, Thank you, Rich. Now, now, here's the thing, Rich. There are all of these people, like Jill Stenick, and so many, many, many others. But how about the pastors? How about the churches? How about the places where people should be able to go and learn and uh, find out what the truth is? Yes. About many, many things. Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, who does a lot of writing for the Christian Post and many other things, I want the folks to listen carefully to what he said recently about why more pastors and churches don't take it seriously enough to really get involved. Listen to this. Have you ever wondered why more pastors don't speak out about controversial moral and cultural issues? Why it's rare to hear a sermon about abortion or homosexuality? I'm sure many pastors would say, that's not my calling. My calling is to preach and teach the scriptures, not to be a cultural commentator. But but doesn't the Bible itself comment on culture? Doesn't God's word intersect with society? Didn't the prophets of old confront the evils of their day? Other pastors might say, my calling is not to be political. My calling is to make disciples. But how should disciples live? What happens when we experience injustice in the workplace? What happens when our kids come home from school crying after the latest sex ed class? What happens when racism raises its ugly head in our community? How do we respond as disciples? Shouldn't church leaders help us answer these questions? Looking back on history, how do we feel about pastors and leaders who chose not to speak out during the days of slavery in America? Don't we question their integrity and their courage? Don't we wonder how they could have nothing to say in the light of such evil? What about those who had no problem with segregation, yet preached from the scriptures every Sunday morning about God's love and God's goodness? Something just doesn't line up. What about pastors and leaders who chose to remain silent during the Holocaust when six million Jews were killed in cold blood? How do we feel about their silence today? And don't we commend leaders like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who refused to compromise their convictions for the sake of safety and career? A quote widely attributed to Bonhoeffer states, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. What would Bonhoeffer say to us today when so many of our spiritual leaders choose to stand on the sidelines while our culture crumbles? Well, let's put aside the larger culture for a moment. What about our own families? In the world we live in today, our kids and grandkids have to deal with questions about abortion, 
about drug use, about suicide, about sexuality, about the meaning of gender. These issues are directly affecting them and their friends. How can we who are leaders not provide solid answers for them? How can we not help equip their parents and teachers? Isn't this also part of our role as shepherds and leaders? In 2014, George Barna conducted a poll in which he asked American pastors if they believed the Bible addressed the key moral and social issues of our day. 90% of these pastors said the Bible did in fact speak to those issues, 90%. But when Barna asked them, are you teaching your people what the Bible says about those issues, the number dropped to less than 10%. That's a staggering statistic. Nine in 10 agreed that the Bible spoke to all the major issues of our day, some of which are highly controversial, but only one in 10 was willing to actually address those issues from the pulpit, even with the Bible as their guide. And by the way, Barney got the same results when he conducted a similar poll a couple of years later. What reasons did the pastors give for their silence? According to Barner, there are five factors that the vast majority of pastors turn to, attendance, giving, number of programs, number of staff, and square footage. In other words, these leaders openly stated that they avoided the controversial issues of our day because, in Barna's words, controversy keeps people from being in the seats. Controversy keeps people from giving money from attending programs. Isn't this like selling your soul for popularity or for money or for influence? Isn't this following more in the footsteps of Judas than of Jesus? Isn't this fearing man more than fearing God or loving the praise of man more than the praise of God? Isn't this relying on the flesh more than the spirit? What makes the situation all the more remarkable is that a 2015 Barnapol indicated that spiritually active Christians who hold politically conservative views believe that churches should be more involved in the political process in particular. They are eager for their pastors to teach them what the Bible says about today's social and political issues. So, the congregants want their leaders to address these issues, yet the leaders are afraid to for fear of losing congregants. How ironic. It's true that pastors are not called to be politicians and that their main focus is teaching and preaching the scriptures and ministering to the needs of their people. But their people live in a very real world and they need answers to the great problems and issues of the day. And the Bible provides answers to those great issues. To fail to speak is to fail to equip. To fail to speak is to fail to protect. To fail to speak is to fail to love. Oh boy! Oh, that's oh boy. that's great. See, folks, that was uh, that was Pastor Michael Brown uh, speaking to pastors. And um, man alive! Now here is a congressman. You see, Henry Hyde. Um, Henry Hyde is the one for whom the Hyde Amendment was named. And this is what he had to say quickly. We were told in committee by an attending nurse that the little arms and legs stop flailing and suddenly stiffen as the scissors is plunged in. People who say, I feel your pain, aren't referring to that little infant. What kind of people have we become that this procedure is even a matter for debate? Can't we draw the line at torture and baby torture at that? If we can't, what's become of us? See, so many people are saying, but I don't belong to your church, so we we are different. Or I'm not religious, so we're different. I'm going to tell you something, folks. 
down is down, up is up. The gravity pulls and the rain falls and the sun shines. These are scientific facts. And it's scientifically proven over and over and over again that from the moment of conception, the human being does live. And it's in the Bible, too. And, Rich, both you and I heard Dr. Jerome Lejeune from Paris, who at that time was the world's number one geneticist. And he said, in the scientific community, they all know that. And, man, this was back in 1994, I think, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. But he said the question is, and listen to me right now, folks, the question is, do we care? Do we care? Here's Henry Hyde again. The justification for abortion has always been the claim that a woman can do with her own body what she will. Well, if you still believe that this little baby is a part of the woman's body, then I'm afraid your ignorance is invincible. Hmm. That's true. Well, it's just plain true. It's just plain true. Now, Pastor Lawrence White of Houston, Texas, We've used his message many times, the sin of silence. The sin of silence. Here's what Pastor Lawrence White had to say. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Yeah. You know, Rich, it's easy for people to look back at someone like Hitler and, and that sort of thing, or slavery, or other things, and say, oh, why didn't those people wake up? Didn't they have the Bible? Didn't they have churches? Didn't they have pastors? What was the problem? That they were so dull in allowing something like that without their input, without their engagement. Uh, without their opposition. Without their opposition. Now, here is another gentleman. He's a, he's a uh, senator. Senator from Oklahoma. You know, there's a lot of good people, but folks, we can't leave it up to the politicians. You can't leave it up to the courts. You can't leave it up. It's we the people. That's what's unique and distinct about America. But we the people. And it's so important to vote for a representative that will represent you accurately. Here's what Senator Jim Lankford said. 48 years ago, the Supreme Court determined, you know, not, not just is abortion going to be legal, but is it going to be required in every state? People lose track of what Roe v. Wade was. Roe v. Wade, abortion was already legal in America, just most states didn't allow it. Some states did. The Supreme Court stepped in and said, nope, every state has to allow this. And so it suddenly became mandatory nationwide. And for the people that say, well, what if Roe is overturned? Well, if Roe is overturned, all that will mean is the conversation will go back to the states again, and it states will have to make this decision. So it's really a cultural conversation that we need to have with people. 48 years later, we don't still accept as a culture what the Supreme Court said. We don't believe the death of 62 million children since 1973 is the right direction for our country. Yeah. We believe that every child is valuable, not just some. And now yeah. the Supreme Court is at the threshold of overturning Roe versus Wade, and we need to be able to speak up and speak out Rich, for the little yeah. ones. Rich, I wonder, first of all, folks, get, get that straight, because you're not going to get it straight for most of the newscasts and the commentaries and that sort of thing. But with the, um, 
with the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court of the United States, it then goes back to the state government. And the state government is elected by the people in that state mm -hmm. to deal with the subject as the people feel about it uh, and express it through the people they elect in state government. So you see the people, we the people, that's where the, that's where the buck stops. We the people are lazy, we don't speak out, we don't care, we're selfish, and we're not thinking about another person. We love both the mother and the child. Mm -hmm. We love the mother and the baby. We yeah. love the mother, and except let's not forget the baby. Um, society can society of can society continue on uh, ignoring the other half of the equation? Uh, it's amazing, isn't and, it? Rich? And God loves them both too. And God loves them both. So anyway, we're going to be talking about this, and we're going to be getting into it. But Rich. Uh, what do we have now from our listener comments? Oh, Dad, could we have one or two more uh, oh, please. Uh, comments where our listeners celebrate their mothers, since this is Mother's Day weekend? Please. I would like to say a happy Mother's Day to my grandma, Hazel Maxwell. She is such a blessing to our family, and she's always been steadfast, and she lives by herself and loves Spot Radio. She listens in the evening. I listen in the morning, and sometimes we talk about what we've heard. And I just want to say Happy Mother's Day, Grandma, and I love you. Oh, bless your heart. Thank I'm so you, glad lady. you called in. Let me give the listener comment line for everybody listening now. The listener comment line is 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. Here's a man from Tulsa. Greetings. This is Rob Lee from Tulsa, Oklahoma, wishing my mother, Aretha Lee, a very happy Mother's Day, and God bless you. Thanks for all you've done. Oh, oh, one, more. one more. Yes, I wanted to take the opportunity to wish my beautiful, amazing daughter happy Mother's Day. Um, she's a fantastic mom. Francesca has three children, three baby boys, and she is busy, 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 and in the process of adopting a little, beautiful little baby girl. And I want to thank her for who she is in Christ. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, Rich, I, I have enjoyed this so much. Well, we've got to get out of here. This is Dick Bott with this chapter, The Complete Story, with my son, Rich, and we'll see you later.